0: last six Sundays, and believe it or not, it has been six, our church has been going through a sermon series called the Cornerstone Ministry Pillars. And really what this is, is an overview of the philosophy of ministry for our church. And there are four words that begin with the letter P that our members are starting to nod and and say, okay, we get this, we we get where you're going with these, and I'm going to we're going we're gonna to sound these. In fact, there's banners that are going to be made that, um, we're, and I'm being serious, that are going to remind us because these are so important. We want to feature these um, for our church on a regular basis. Oftentimes what happens is folks usually have to go to a website or go to another location to really see what the philosophy of ministry is for a church. But we want it to be visible. We want you to know it. We want you to be absorbed in it. And we want you to be encouraged by it. And there's four words that start with the letter P. And I'm going to test our people this morning. So if you're a guest, you won't know what these are. But our people will know what these are. Their first P word is? Praising, right? We are a church that is committed to praising God with passion. And our hearts are so thankful for all that he's done for us. And we have a limited number of Sundays and opportunities as as a ministry to gather. And whenever we do, we want to come together and we want to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to praise him for all that he has done for us, all that he is doing, and all that he'll continue to do. There's a second P word, and that is preaching right we want to preach the word with precision our church is a gospel preaching bible based ministry that is focused on the word of god because it gives us everything that we need everything that we need to live for his glory and to honor and magnify him with our lives it does well there's a another p word and it is this it is praying praying. that's right We want to pray to God with fervency. We uh, recognize the fact that when we pray to God with fervency, that it's actually a a recognition of our dependency upon him. And as we uh, pray to God with fervency, he does something. He reveals um, answers to the petitions that we bring to him, whether they come in the form of praises and thankfulness for all that he's doing, or whether we're uh, making a request for a physical or a spiritual need. God hears us, and it demonstrates His power by how He answers. It truly does. Well, there's a fourth P, and you've only heard it one week, so church, you'll have to remember, if you weren't here last week, you may not know what it was. Um, It is the word progressing, right? God did not save us so that we stay the same. From the moment of salvation and onward, God begins a progressive work in us so that he can receive glory. And that is through the evangelism and discipleship that takes place within the church. And he does have a plan. And he does want us to grow and mature in Christ. His plan involves every believer on the planet, and it involves us progressing in evangelism and discipleship, and it's called the Great Commission. Please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to continue our study in verses 16 through 20, which is a very important passage for us to look at. Let's read it again just so that it's fresh in our minds. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 28, it says this, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And last Sunday, our first sermon that we heard on this ministry pillar introduced us to four aspects of the Great Commission that help us to fulfill it. Four different aspects. We started by focusing on the motive, okay? Why we do what we do and the motive for everything that we do as believers including fulfilling the great commission is so that the lord jesus christ will be worshiped god saved us to worship him and god saves us so that we will take the message of the gospel that we will make disciples and that we will get others to live lives that will also worship him That is and should be the motive for everything that we do as believers. We then turned our attention to the master of the Great Commission. And Jesus says in verse 18, all authority has been given to me on uh, on earth and in heaven. All authority, right? And so when we go out in the Great Commission, we are representing the ultimate authority. We... Studied in our passage that even at the uh, initial meeting when the disciples met, it said that some doubted. And we, we talked about how it's human for, for us to doubt, especially when a significant event takes place and we're just like, something happens and somebody shares something that, that's just crazy. We, we can all respond like, no way. You just you can't believe it's true. And this is what happened with the disciples. But then the Lord Jesus Christ opened his mouth and he shared that significant statement of verse 18 and he started to speak. And in a moment, they knew who it was. In a moment, they recognized the master who had the authority, the one who discipled them over the course of three years, the voice that they knew. It was him. And we see this because all of the apostles from That point forward, the resurrection lit a fire beneath them. They went on to serve Him with great purpose, with great intention. And they were eager to point people to Christ so that He would be worshipped. And we finished our time confirming the message of the Great Commission. We concluded that sharing the gospel with the unsaved is connected or implied within the command to make disciples In verse 19. And this got confirmed for us because it's not mentioned specifically in this gospel account, but when we went to Mark and when we went to Luke, we saw that the gospel is indeed a command within the Great Commission. And then the final aspect of the Great Commission is the mission of the Great Commission, which is found in our final two verses, 19 and 20. And if God wants us to fulfill the Great Commission, if God wants us progressing in evangelism and discipleship, and He does, then it will serve us well to look at the one command that is actually found in all of these verses. Make disciples. Make disciples. God wants us to understand this. And I believe we know the answer to that question. Is it important? Of course it is. Let's read verses 19 and 20 again. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And here in these final two verses of the Great Commission, God spells out for us the mission of the Great Commission. There are three progressing realities of the mission that will help us understand the mission that is actually within the Great Commission. And they're printed in your bulletin. You should have them uh, right inside your bulletin uh, to see. And I just want to take a moment, because they don't get thanked very often, but our publishing team... I want to thank you guys so much for your faithful service to us as a church. Every week, you, you put the bulletin together for us. All the details are in there that we need to know about, and we thank you for that. Thank you, admin team, publishing team, for serving us so faithfully week in and week out. The mission of the Great Commission involves three progressing realities, and they're listed for you in the bulletin. Sharing our faith, confirming our faith, and growing in our faith. These two verses will help us see it. Let's start with reality number one. The mission of the Great Commission involves sharing our faith. And verse 19 literally starts out by saying, Therefore, as you are going, make disciples. And it begins with a conjunction that can also be translated uh, consequently or for that reason. And to be technical, this is called a logical inferential. The seminary brothers are learning all about that. It's a coordinating conjunction. And it's pointing back to something. And it's a basic hermeneutical principle that we've talked about before. Whenever you see the word therefore, it serves us well to ask the question, what is it there for? And there's a logical deduction or conclusion that it's pointing back to. Okay, Versus... 16 to 20 are all one pericope in the Greek language. It's one paragraph, one complete thought. And last week we studied the first half of this passage, and that allowed us to see the motive, the master, and the message of the Great Commission. And the word commission actually means this, a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. And this is webster's definition and it actually works for us in the great commission a formal written warrant we have it written for us right here in matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20 granting the power we talked about this the power and the authority come from the lord jesus christ to perform various acts or duties and the act or duty is to make disciples I want us to use a play on words that will help us be reminded of the mission of the Great Commission, okay? And when when we think about the word commission, uh, divide that into, uh, use the prefix before, co-mission, okay? Co means with. And so there are things that we bring along with the mission. We bring the right motive with us when we carry out the mission. And the mission is For Christ to be worshiped, we bring with us the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed our sending agent. And He's the one that we're doing this for. He is with us on the mission. And finally, we bring the message of the gospel. We need the gospel in order to make disciples. We bring with us that message so that it can be shared. The therefore points us backward to all of these aspects. Every aspect is important to keep in mind as we're sharing our faith. And last week under point number three, when we talked about the message, we saw the command in the other two Gospel accounts because we don't see it directly in this account of the Great Commission. Evangelism is the first priority in making new disciples sharing our faith means sharing the gospel a true disciple is a follower and a learner of christ which we'll discuss in greater detail under uh, our third point but to be a true disciple a person must be a true convert they must be born again a train can't go anywhere without an engine A light can't be turned on without any electricity. Without an enabling power supply, many things are useless. And the same can be said for making disciples and trying to fulfill the Great Commission. If we try to do it without the spiritually enabling power supply of the gospel and without faithful messengers sharing it, it's impossible to make disciples. And we see this emphasis through Christ's ministry as he preached the gospel and shared it with people. We see the priority of the gospel as the disciples shared their faith from Pentecost onward. The Apostle Paul provides insight into this. And if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a, a, a passage here that I believe will, will bless and assist our understanding. 1 Corinthians 2. Chapter 2, it says this, and this is Paul writing to the believers at Corinth. And when I came to you, brethren, and Paul's talking about when I initially came to you, all right, they're converts now. He's referring to them as brothers. I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul got it. Paul understood it. He initially, when he zeroed in and when he uh, uh, went to the, the the lost people in Corinth and he evangelized, and Paul was a gifted evangelism, uh, gifted in evangelism. Okay, Paul was bold for the gospel, but. I also want to share this because I think this will also encourage us. Did evangelism make the Apostle Paul a little nervous when he shared the gospel? Does it make us a little bit nervous when we go out to share the gospel? Verse three, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. What an encouragement to us as we share the gospel, as we go out and we evangelize people. Sometimes we, we think like, we're, we're really going to screw this up. This is, I'm not going to get this right. There's, you know, so much depends. I mean, come on guys. So much depends on us. So much depends on us. And the reality is that God is at work and the Spirit draws men to Himself and the Spirit even can work through despite our weaknesses and our failures and our shortcomings and our inadequacies. He still works and He uses us in great measure. The Spirit of God, let the Apostle Paul know that making disciples starts with sharing our faith in Christ. It must be initiated through the Gospel in order to make disciples and teach them spiritual truths. They need the Spirit of God in their life. And move down to verse 14 of the same chapter. God spells this out for us even more clearly. Verse 14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And this features for us the doctrine of illumination, which provides only believers the capacity to discern divine truth. And unbelievers simply are unable to do it, to make true disciples and to engage the mission of the commission, we must be ready to share our faith. We must be ready to share the gospel. And this is why our application for last week's message, under, uh, under the message, we, we talked about application. And if you'll recall, it was that we would not allow another week to go by where we have not established a plan for personal evangelism, that we would understand that we're, we're commissioned and that God has given us this mission and that this is what He wants us to do. And it led to questions. Who are you personally pursuing with the gospel to make disciples? If you are a believer, God wants you to have an evangelism plan. If you're a believer, God actually wants you to have a great commission plan. And so that involves each and every one of us. Each and every one of us has to have a plan to reach somebody for the gospel. And I can ask you each personally, what is your plan? Ed Gonzalez, what is your plan? Evan, Nagayama, what is your plan? Who are the four people that you are going to share the gospel with this month? One per week. Who are those four people? What are their names? Who, how are you praying for them? And you know what's interesting? I could mention those two brothers because I've seen their passion and I've seen their faithfulness in evangelism. And there are other people in this room that are faithfully evangelizing. But you know what? There are many who need a boost. There are many who need a boost to get a plan going. Listen life is too short, hell is too hot, eternity is too long. And besides all of that, besides all of that, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. And so we can't not have a plan. We need to have a plan. And this is no guilt trip. And I I really, I mean this with the sincerity of my heart. I do not want this to sound heavy-handed in in any way. We're simply talking about what's going to be a pillar for this church. What is going to be, what is going to support the ministry of Cornerstone Bible Church? This is going to be a pillar. Imagine for a moment if every month, if every single person in our church were to share the gospel with one person every week. Imagine what that would look like. 12 months, roughly four weeks. I guess we could go 52 weeks would be 52 gospel conversations. And in a church of 100, that's over 5,000 gospel conversations a year. Just with every person owning a plan and, and sharing the gospel with four people. That's powerful. Do, could God use that to draw some people to himself? Could God use that to glorify himself? What a beautiful picture. And yes, I'm unveiling our evangelism plan this week. Okay, We're, we're unveiling it right now. I uh, said so as we speak, I think I'm the only one doing all the talking, but I want us to get this. Four people every month, one gospel conversation per week, and, and I thought about this, and this encouraged me greatly, and I want to let you know that we actually um, put together four gospel tracks, uh, or packs of four, four packs. They're right back there on that table, and we want everyone to take four gospel tracks w- with you today, okay? And, and this is what you're going to do, and we learn this in our evangelism class. We pray, we pursue, and we proclaim. This is how we evangelize. We pray for the, the, those people. And I would take, take the, the gospel tracts and, and, and your pastors and elders are doing, well, there's only one pastor, but uh, pastor and elders are doing this with you. And, and write, you write the name of that person and whom you're going to share it with. And you can even, when you share that gospel tract, they'll see their name on it. And you can let them know that that is for them. And you can share that with them. And we're going to pray because we, we know that the Spirit has to be at work. We can't do this in the flesh. And then we're going to pursue the, excuse me, those open doors that we have to share the gospel with them. And then when the time comes, we want to proclaim that message. We want to let them know with precision the message of the gospel. Four gospel tracts. Four unbelievers, one a week, and I think that's is that is that doable for us? I just have a question: Is that doable for you? Is that is that real? Everybody, wait. Are you out there? Are you out there? Is that doable? We can do this. We can do this. And and from Easter, listen. This is, today is Easter Sunday. Between now and next Easter Sunday, which will be our landmark, our church is committed to sharing the gospel f- over 5,000 times. And we're all going to bear that responsibility. We're all going to rise to that occasion. We're all going to have that great joy of walking in faithfulness to serve the Lord. You know, you might have heard this expression. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You aim at nothing. You'll hit it every time. And it's so true. It's especially true when it comes to making disciples. And we need the right motive. We have the right Master. We have the right message. And now we need to understand the right mission. The mission is to make disciples. And there are three progressing realities that help you and I do this. The first is sharing our faith. The second is confirming our faith. Let's continue in verse 19. We just read there, for as you're going, make disciples of all the nations. Now it says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Once a new disciple responds in faith to the gospel, the next and most logical progression is for them to be baptized. And there's all kinds of stuff that's going on in the Greek here. And I, I want to have a chance just to unpack this a little bit. First, the command, make disciples, is actually in a, it's actually an aorist verb, which, is, which, which means that it's a past completed action. That it's already done. Or, or, or there's an assumption that it's already being done. But it's in the active tense. So what's this mean to us? The command already assumes that believers are doing this. So much so that it has been considered as a past completed action. The Lord Jesus Christ already assumed that his disciples would be making disciples. And now the same assumption is made of us. And I don't know about you, but this encourages me greatly that the God of the universe believes in me. The God of the universe believes in the church. He believes in you. He enables us to do this, He saved us for this mission. And the command make disciples. Though it's an heiress, it's also an active verb. So this means that though it's considered a past-completed action, there are because it's active, there are continuing or ongoing results. What are the continuing results of having made a disciple? There are two participles that describe the continuing results. One is translated baptizing, and the other is translated teaching, which we'll get to in just a moment. If we are making disciples... And we should encourage those who respond in faith to pursue baptism. A true disciple should have a true desire to be baptized. And if they don't, whoever's discipling them needs to take an opportunity to feature the significance of this first step of obedience. And the participle uses the same root word from which we get our English word, baptism, a word that is, I'm sure, familiar with you baptizo right it literally means to immerse in water the initial act of obedience to the lord jesus christ after salvation is to submit to baptism by immersion as a testimony to our union with him in his 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 death and in his burial and resurrection and this is the pattern that we actually see throughout acts In Acts 2.41, it shares that after Peter's sermon at Pentecost, that those who received the word were baptized. After Philip preached the gospel in Acts 8, the believers were baptized. Again, in Acts 10, Peter encourages those who put their faith in Christ to be baptized. Just a couple brief comments as it relates to the immediacy of people being baptized right after they professed faith. The theme of the book of Acts is the birth and growth of the church, but there isn't anything um, that is prescriptive or being commanded of us as a church to follow this example. The persecution of the church in the first century was, and I've shared this time and time again, it was very intense and nobody in their right mind would be enticed to join a church unless god had specifically changed their heart to do so it was so intense that believers were exiled right out of their families and if you were jewish it meant that you were you were gone from the synagogue their entire well-being became su- subject to severe persecution. Life-threatening persecution. And that climate doesn't exist in the church today. With that said, over the years, there's been a paradigm shift as it relates to baptism. And though there are a few churches that still have the, the practice of baptizing in the moment of belief, most have made the transi- transition to confirming genuine faith in Christ by validating a believer's testimony before baptism and this seems to be the path of wisdom uh, there's easy believism throughout the evangelical churches at Rome's rampant and and so there's there's wisdom and so what is our takeaway as it relates to baptism and making disciples baptism serves as a public confirmation of a believer's faith in Christ and it demonstrates obedience Immersion is the most appropriate mode for baptism because that's what the word means. It means literally to be immersed underwater. And the Apostle Paul was led to describe this for us metaphorically in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. A true disciple will have a desire to be baptized and confirm their faith publicly. And this is a continuing result of effective discipleship making. And one commentator had this to say, although the act of baptism has absolutely no saving or sacramental benefit, or power, it is commanded by Christ of his followers. The only exception might be physical inability, as in the case of the repentant thief on the cross, a prisoner who has forbidden the ordinance, or a similar circumstance beyond the believer's control. The person who is unwilling to get baptized is at best a disobedient believer, and if he persists in his unwillingness, there is reason to doubt the genuineness of his faith. If he is unwilling to comply with this simple act of obedience in the presence of believers, he will hardly be willing to stand for Christ before the unbelieving world. And so uh, our application is this. There's, there's no such thing as closet Christianity. We get that. When, 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 when you're a believer, you, 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 you are literally... A, a, a bold testimony, you're, you're faithful to share our faith, and then you will be faithful to confirm your faith. And when God calls believers to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He calls every single one of us to confirm our faith through baptism and a public testimony. And if you'll recall Jesus' words, even in Matthew 10, 33, 32 and 33, the Lord shares, "...therefore, everyone who confesses me before men i will also confess him before my father who is in heaven but whoever denies me before men i will also deny him before my father who is in heaven confirming our faith was important to the lord jesus christ and it's a progressive reality of making disciples and also expresses the wonderful union that we have with the Godhead, because in first in verse nineteen it goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and this is not a formula it 's not a ritual, okay These are beautiful words that have been used throughout the history of the church. When there is something unique that the 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 name the word translated name is actually singular, and one commentator shares that it, quote, embodies the fullness of a person encompassing all that he is, has, and represents. And when a person is baptized, the believer is identified with everything that God has, is, and represents. It's a beautiful picture. Consider for a moment this short story. The six-year-old Grandson of Ruth Kirby told his mother that he had been baptized. His mom knew that he hadn't been formally baptized, so she probed further into the issue. She asked him to explain what he meant by baptized. Little Blake then enlightened his mom. Last night in the bathtub, I put my face under the water and I thought about Jesus. Cute. Very cute. And as cute as this story is, the truth is that there are many believers who have never been instructed about the importance of believers' baptism. And as a result, they they don't know how significant it really is. And if that's you here today, maybe you are a new believer, maybe you've been saved in the the recent months or the recent years. Or if you're you've been a believer for a long time, but you, you've never pursued baptism. Can I ask you something? Please, please, please talk to someone about that. Talk about pursuing baptism. Talk to your care group leader. Talk to um, any of, of the elders. You can talk to me. We want to make sure that you have the opportunity to confirm your faith in baptism. The mission is to make disciples, and there are three progressing realities that help you and I do this. The first was sharing our faith by sharing the gospel. The second was confirming our faith by the pursuit of baptism and encouraging those who we disciple to pursue baptism. And the third and final reality of making disciples is growing in our faith. And I think everyone sees the logical progression of what's taking place here, right? Sharing our faith, confirming our faith, and now we get to grow in our faith. From the moment of our salvation, God is as small as He will ever be in your life. From the moment of your salvation, your God will be as small as He will ever be in your life. What do I mean by that? Because from that point onward, there's growth as you're going to continue to pursue Him. You're going to grow in your knowledge of Him. And the object of your faith is going to grow bigger and bigger. And as the object of our faith grows bigger and bigger and our God gets bigger, our worship gets bigger. And we have a desire to know Him. We have a desire to grow in Him. We briefly mentioned the two aspects of a true disciple of Christ are... A disciple is a follower of Christ and a learner of Christ, but it begs the question, how do we follow? What do we need to learn? The mission of the commission provides the answer for us in verse 20. Christ shares what we need to obey and learn and then teach to others when he says to observe, or this word could be or obey, all that I commanded you. And so the real question is, what does this include? In a narrow sense, it could be limited just to the um, oral teaching and the gospel accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He shared in the Gospels. But in a broader sense, all that Jesus commanded includes the interpretation and application of His life and teaching. And the book of Acts actually starts out in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And, it, uh, the, and it, it explains that it contains the narrative of what Jesus continued to do and teach through the apostles after his resurrection. All that Jesus commanded can also and it can also include the epistles, since they were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and were also considered to be a command of the Lord. And here are just a few passages that support this. In John chapter 14, which I understand isn't an epistle, but Jesus shares something in verse 26. He shares with Peter, James, and John who who wrote many New Testament epistles, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then they recorded it for us. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.37, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. So in a larger sense, all that Jesus commanded includes all of the New Testament. All of the New Testament. And at first glance, this probably seems very intimidating, right? How in the world do I remember all of the New Testament commands? Is that not intimidating? Maybe just for me it is. But God has provided four major helps. And I want to briefly share these. We don't have time to dig into them, but I want, to, I want to share them with you, even though we can't look at them in detail. Okay, Four things that He's provided that help us to remember all that He's commanded. He's given us a conscience. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. And He's given us other believers. All those things can help us remember what God has commanded. First, he's given us a conscience. And the word conscience actually breaks apart into con and science. And con means with, and science means knowledge. And what the Bible teaches is that every person on this planet has has a conscience. And God has inscribed his moral law onto the heart of both believer and unbeliever. And the Apostle Paul was used by God to record this insight in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15, which which say, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, the knowledge that I've given them, bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Every person has a moral compass. And for some unbelievers, it can actually be pretty, a pretty sensitive or, 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 or sharp moral compass. Although God would warn us and say that it's not reliable, we'd see the deceptive nature of the human heart. But this is, by the way, how... Unbelievers reach the conclusion that human beings are generally good people. Through a measure of God's common grace, God's moral law provides a level of morality. Okay, It provides a level of morality for fallen mankind to think that they are the ones who are by nature good people, though the reality is that they refuse to give God any of the rightful credit. They suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And that's a whole other sermon. I'd love to preach that. But it's, it, I'm, I'm telling you, that's, that's, that helps us when you go out and we do evangelism and when people say that they're a, a pretty good person. How can they reach that conclusion? Look around you. Or how can you say mankind is pretty good people, right? Because through God's common grace, there is a moral compass that he's provided. Second, the Holy Spirit helps us just as Jesus said, and that comes in John 16.13, which says, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. So He'll help us to remember the commands, the Holy Spirit. Third, we have the Word of God. This is why we study it and apply it. And the commands are clear, and they help us to see all that the Lord has commanded for us to do. Psalm 119.105, God's Word is a lamp to our feet. And it's a light to our path. And fourth, we have other believers. We need each other for spiritual guidance and direction as we strive to follow and learn and teach all that the Lord has commanded us. As we bear witness, we we serve one another. We bear each, one another's burdens, right? And even in Galatians chapter six, verses one through ten. That says that it's a, a summation of the law when we do that. It's a fulfillment of the law. Well, I hope these helps encourage you and our responsibility to obey and teach others all that Christ has commanded comes with a great deal of help. It truly does, straight from the Lord. I was at the DMV the other day, and I was finally going to get my California driver's license. And They give you a couple of months to do that, but i wasn 't crazy about i 'm crazy about getting a california driver 's license because i 'm here for for hopefully forever but um, i wasn 't crazy about going to the the DMV in Fullerton. I should have posted that on Facebook so that everybody could have prayed for me um, when, when I went there but i over the course of um, getting my california driver 's license, it became apparent that for some reason I was going to have to take The written test again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And all God's people said, no. So I asked the lady, I said, is there just even a booklet that I can look at really quick? I mean, and she's like, no, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. You'll do fine. You'll do fine. I'm like why don't I have the confidence that she has in me? I'm just like, where is that little booklet? I did get a little booklet, and I started to look through, and then I was in the line by the little blue door, and then I came up, and I I, did, I didn't have a chance to barely look at it. I mean, I really didn't. And so I, I get the exam, and I start to take it, and you know what? Over the course of taking the 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 exam, and after um, driving a vehicle now legally for. Um, 20, nearly 24 years, I was surprised how much I knew. I, I, you know, I I, I was surprised how much I knew. And you know what? I use that as an illustration because you will be surprised how much you know about the Lord's commands. Being in a church where you have faithfully heard the word exposited, preached week after week. In fact, our dear sisters, Gina and Julia, And if they listen into this message, we love you, Gina and Julia. And I want to tell you something directly that you are going to be surprised how much you know about what the Lord has commanded you to do when they're teaching and making disciples over the course of this next year over in Czech Republic. So practically, how will growing in our faith affect the ministries of our church? Well, first we want to focus on making disciples and encouraging believers to follow and learn directly from Christ. And then we also want to provide examples for them and that we would be able to reflect the the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. And second, we want everyone to understand that if being a disciple means being a follower and a learner, then being a disciple maker means being a leader and a teacher. The call of every Christian as a disciple-maker is the call to become a leader and a teacher. And this is an overview of this pillar, and we're going to have uh, an entire sermon series, Lord willing, that is going to talk to us about how we grow and develop and become more effective leaders and teachers. We want people to make measurable spiritual progress. Well, this is what it means to progress in evangelism and discipleship. It's what it means to fulfill the Great Commission. And this was a bird's eye view of this ministry pillar. And to end our time, the Lord shares a great encouragement in His final words of the Great Commission. Verse 20, back in Matthew 28. As crucial as all the aspects are to be effective in the fulfillment of the Great Commission, the motive, the master, the message, the mission, which includes sharing our faith, confirming our faith, growing in our faith. As crucial as all those things are, they would be useless without the reality of what the Lord shares here at the very end. At the end of the verse 20, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus Christ's continual presence remains with us and will always be our greatest source of blessing. It will always be our greatest source of comfort, encouragement. It will be His power that works in us and through us to fulfill the Father's will. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Always means always. It can also be translated all of the days. And that's for every individual. This means every day of our lives. And the fullest meaning of the church at large, it means even to the end of the age, because we'll always be with Him. And all of God's people say amen to this. Well, please uh, take a moment to pray with me and give thanks to God for, our, for guiding us through the ministry pillars and for this message, and also to prepare our hearts to receive communion. Heavenly Father, our hearts do overflow with gratitude that we can express our deepest sincerity. What a blessing Your faithfulness has been to us in our lives. The Great Commission can be great because You're a great God, and You can work through us to accomplish it. Help us, Father, to receive in many ways the challenge that You've provided for us in this text. And I pray, Father, for my own heart where I've given myself a pass, where I've not been faithful to evangelism and to share the gospel, and where I've not been faithful to make disciples or been very inconsistent. Father, your grace abounds. And you give us a new opportunity. You allow us to do that very thing. We're so thankful to be in a place where we can grow in our faith. And we pray, Father, that as we continue to become better followers and better learners, that you will allow us to become effective leaders and teachers for your namesake, that we can do that and we can help our fellow believers make measurable spiritual progress. And I thank you for our care group ministry that allows us to already exist. Thank you for our children's ministries where young disciples are being invested into. And Father, there are many more opportunities that you will provide for us as a church. So we just want to praise you for that. And Father, as we consider the reality of the church growing bigger and bigger, we know that the head of the church, Christ, the head who is at the top, as the body grows and grows, the head grows taller and taller and taller and is exalted higher, and higher, and higher. And in the end, we want to see you magnified. Father, as we turn our attention now to communion, we pray that you'll help us to celebrate your goodness, help us to celebrate the resurrection, and to meditate on the gospel, the salvation that we have in you, the sanctification, and the continued work that you continue to do in our lives and father this is a celebration that is for believers who don't have any unrepentant sin in their lives and so i just pray that you'll allow me to search my own heart every person in the room to search their own heart to see whether they should participate in this celebration and father we'll give you all the praise for what takes place And again, we're so thankful for your guidance, for your love, and for your direction. We give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.